0: Hi folks, this is Varun Haran, Principal Correspondent for Information Security Media Group in Asia. It's that time of the year when you look back at the year past and all the lessons learned and look forward into the coming year with your resolutions and your expectations for the future. Well, I recently spoke to some security thought leaders to get a sense of what they see 2016 shaping up as for security. One of these leaders we spoke to is Bryce Boland, CTO APAC for FireEye. Bryce is going to speak to us about some of the predictions that he's making for 2016 that he's really passionate about and his assessment of what priorities should be for the security practitioners as we go into 2016. Hello, Bryce. Thank you for joining us once more.
1: Hi, everyone. Thanks very much for having me on.
0: So, Bryce, as we go into 2016, uh, what are some broad themes that you see emerging and what are some predictions that you're going to stand behind this year and why?
1: Well, there's quite a number of things that we think are going to happen backed up by both our business sense, what we think is happening with the business world and the business of security, but also sort of backed up by our research intelligence teams. And there's a number of things there. So there's a few things around what's happening in the business and what's happening around cyber in terms of mergers and acquisitions and insurance. But there's also things going on like hackers going into the cloud, many, many more things being hacked with more platforms available that are connected. And um, we also predict, that Apple attacks will go on the increase again and that security as a service, that is people getting services in rather than bringing in people, uh, that that's going to continue to accelerate. And I guess the last thing that we're talking about is that attribution is probably going to remain a really big problem for government and law enforcement despite some of the peace treaties that are being talked about by some nations
0: that's quite a list you have there so let's get into some of these in some more detail what are some unique items that jump out at you and you know that are going to be tactical game changers next year
1: well, one thing that we're expecting is to see a lot more of hackers using and leveraging the cloud. And you, know, you probably think, well, that the cloud is where everyone uses you know, their services for storing their data and so forth. But really, the cloud is just using someone else's computers. And that's actually something criminal hackers have got plenty of experience with. And we've been starting to see attackers leveraging a lot more cloud infrastructure for attacks during this year. And so we expect to see a lot more of that going into 2016. Most of the companies that that we see using the cloud as part of their strategy don't really have consistent security controls across all of their assets and often the cloud environments that they're using have relatively less protection so if you can steal the keys to someone's virtual machines you can actually get access to quite a lot of compute quite a lot of storage and you don't have to pay for it because someone else is already paying so that makes the value proposition quite nice for attackers who are looking for things like extra space and network traffic uh, for their traffic generators or for hosting exploit kits for compiling malware to bypass the latest or even just for Bitcoin mining so they can make money or or do things to reduce their operational costs. So we do expect to see a lot more of that kind of uh, attack taking place as well as more command and control services being hosted in the cloud. We started to see that a little bit during the year with attackers using things like Twitter, using um, some of the services from Microsoft to do communications, um, but also starting to use that for command and control communications uh, to effectively enable them to host all of their command and control uh, in the cloud without having to have any hardware under their own direct control.
0: Okay, wow. So those are some uh, new things that I heard from you today. So what are the implications here going forward for uh, practitioners? I mean, say hackers are going to use the cloud more, does that mean that the way you approach security needs to change significantly?
1: Well, my suggestion would be that if you are using the cloud for your business, you really need to work out how you can detect breaches in that cloud environment. Um, And clearly today, if an attacker is attacking your your enterprise environment, you've probably got some kind of detective controls there. Uh, Do you have the same kind of controls in your cloud environment? And if you do detect something in your cloud environment, can your existing security team actually do anything? Are they able to act and do they have the visibility they need to be able to respond to incidents that take place in your cloud as opposed? to uh, your on-prem attacks. That's probably the the major piece. The other thing to consider is that as attackers start to use more of the cloud-based services for things like command and control, uh, it's going to become more difficult to differentiate between, say, an innocuous user tweeting versus a piece of malware tweeting to let its controller know that it's ready to let the attacker steal data from your computer. So that's another area where I think organizations need to start preparing, start putting in place detective controls to differentiate malicious use of cloud services from innocuous and normal internal use.
0: 2015 has been a year that security has arguably received more attention from management than ever before. So how is this going to look in your opinion in 2016? How can practitioners better position themselves and better translate security for business?
1: Yeah, it certainly has become a, a real talking point for a lot of boards, although not as many as, as some of us would like. I think part of that challenge has been that, you know, there's been a lot of high profile incidents and that's driven a kind of a, a reactionary response from a lot of boards. And obviously there's been in the financial services and healthcare space a lot of regulation uh, where regulators are starting to demand more oversight from the board in response. But if you look kind of more more broadly at what's happening, uh, we've just had some major changes in the EU with some of their data protection rules around safe harbour being essentially thrown out. And that's making any company that does business with the EU have to really revisit its own data protection requirements and how they protect data for the EU citizens' data that they're collecting, as well as maybe for their own, you know, for, say, US or or other countries' data. So it's becoming a much bigger business issue for companies that are collecting this data as a result of the EU safe harbour legislation being changed. We're also starting to see regulators becoming more specific in requiring board-level oversight. So, earlier this year, the Hong Kong Monetary Authority uh, gave updated guidance stating that the board had to have oversight of cybersecurity effectiveness in the financial services area. And I expect that we'll see other regulators pursuing that as well. Uh, The regulatory community tend to look at what are best practices and with the HKMA bringing up this pack practice, it's quite likely other regulators will be following. And that's going to increase the pressure on boards of directors to ensure they've got their cybersecurity game up to speed.
0: Uh, cyber insurance is also shaping up to be a big business, like you said in your first statement. So what does 2016 look like for cyber insurance and what are some of the major developments that are going to happen in that space?
1: Yeah, cyber insurance has really become a real business norm over the last year and and I think it's going to continue to be a a norm into 2016 to the point where if you're running a significant business and you don't have cyber insurance as part of your cyber security strategy then you're probably really missing a trick. There's quite a lot of reasons why cyber insurance is a good thing to do. First of all, business leaders understand the concept of insurance. So if you tell them that you need insurance to cover the costs of uh, say a, a bill building uh, being broken into they'll understand that and, and they're prepared to pay for it. So using that same analogy using cyber insurance as a means to pay for the cost of having security detection in place having the ability to respond effectively having the ability to pay someone to come and do the investigation and the forensics that makes a lot of sense to business leaders and so business leaders are really adopting cyber insurance as a, a way to deal with some of the costs of cyber security events in a way that makes sense to them and good security leaders are leveraging that in order to get the right investments to be able to get the insurance policy written and underwrite the, the risks that are being carried by the business. One of the key things there is that good cyber insurance policies have a set of criteria that need to be met to show that the company that's insured is showing due diligence in terms of understanding their risks and taking appropriate measures to protect themselves You know, in that realm. So this really enforces that a business has to meet you know, a basic watermark of cyber preparedness and that in turn leads to you know, a, a better understanding of their risks and therefore a more insurable company in the long term. So there's a lot of reasons why it's really beneficial and we've started to see it become really a business norm and expect to see it become really a normal thing for most businesses to have cyber insurance in 2016.
0: How how mature would you say this market is right now? Because cyber insurance is something that's just uh, gained popularity in the last year or so. How mature do you think the market is now?
1: Yeah, so the cyber insurance market is maturing relatively quickly. I mean, I think it, it got started maybe 10 years ago, and, and back in those days, it was very immature. The last couple of years, we've seen some fairly advanced products coming out. We've seen a lot more participants in the market, and the total amount of uh, risk that is being underwritten has increased quite significantly in the last two years. And In the US alone, it's uh, the, the policies are more than $2 U.S. billion. Um, it's anticipated to get to more than $5 billion by the end of 2017. So it's growing very quickly. I, I don't think the risks that are being carried are well understood by all of the insurers and that creates some uh, some risk in the, in the industry. Uh, it's unclear to what extent the costs could be higher than the, the policies that are being written. Um, however, as insurers get better at this and ensure that they have proper due diligence in place and use forensics organisations both pre-issuing the insurance policy and also afterwards to uh, limit the impact and the cost of the damages, I think that the industry as a whole will mature quite significantly over the next 18 months.
0: There's also this new trend in terms of, you know, pre-acquisition due diligence in cybersecurity. Cybersecurity is scrutiny in mergers and acquisitions that companies are doing. So what's your take on how all that is going to shape up and what that means for organizations that are going into M&A?
1: We've really seen that, you know, come to before this year. We've seen a number of businesses that have uh, been involved in acquisitions, have used some of our services as part of their due diligence, and we've also seen some, some fairly significant failures of due diligence where companies have made acquisitions where the company involved in the acquisition pretty already been breached. And if they had known about it, they probably would have either not made the acquisition or they would have got a different deal and a lot less money for it. And I think one of the things we've been seeing here at FireEye has been an increase in the number of uh, requests from customers um, and also the consulting firms to come in and do an assessment, a compromise assessment, to determine if that company has already been breached. And this is very helpful for the acquired, to ensure they understand exactly what it is they're buying. We would come in and assess whether or not you've been breached, whether there's been an impact to intellectual property or data assets that, that are there, and that's growing quite significantly this year. We're anticipating it becoming a, a, almost a, a standard thing if you're doing a major acquisition, just to make sure you understand the value of the assets you're buying and that they haven't been destroyed by a compromise.
0: What I hear you saying from the last two points is that the view of security in both these cases is risk-driven. That indicates a certain level of maturity that the market is attaining. So what do you see on the practitioner side when you speak to your customers, your partners? What is your assessment of how prepared they are as they go into 2016?
1: Well, it varies quite broadly, to be honest. Most organizations are still well below kind of the, what we call the security poverty line. Um, that said, in the organizations that do have a good understanding of their level of security, many of them are trying to work out how they can improve their capabilities to be able to deal with the advanced threats. And in many cases, they're recognizing that and if they're not operating at a very large scale with a security team that can operate around the clock, that they're, they're actually struggling to keep on top of things. And particularly, when it comes to advanced threats where they might need to have you know forensic skills, reverse engineering skills, incident response skills uh, available effectively on demand, but they don't necessarily have enough activity to keep them busy 24 hours a day. Um, so that's that's why I think we're seeing a lot of growth in the security as a service area uh, where organizations are really looking to outsource the management and the operation of their security. And this is a business that's been growing for a long time, but it looks like it's growing faster and 2016 than any other area of security and maybe even any other area of IT it's uh, the cumulative growth that we're seeing is is very significant it's indicative I think of businesses recognizing that it's hard to get talent and it's even harder to keep talented people interested if they only see one security incident every few months um, which is why it makes sense economically for most businesses to actually get those services as a service um, as opposed to trying to build it themselves and operate it themselves
0: so of all the predictions you've made today, hmm. which of these do you think is going to persist in a way that we are not going to be able to solve them?
1: Uh, well, there's some pretty big problems in this space. I think that the biggest problem is that we keep creating more problems for ourselves quicker than we can fix them. And if you look at how much code we're producing for all of the different platforms and all of the different things that people are wearing, plugging in at home, driving, um, all of these devices have an attack surface and that attack surface is growing and at the same time it's being more and more connected so it's making it easier to, to attack. And, and I think that's probably one of the biggest problems we're going to face over the next few years is this huge attack surface and so many things being able to be hacked. Now, even things that might have had security flaws in the past but weren't easily accessible are now being connected to networks. Uh, in many cases, it might be something as innocuous as you know, a smart watch. Okay, Your old-fashioned watch couldn't really be hacked, but now your, your watch can. But fundamentally, it, it's only going to be an issue if you, you've got access to sensitive information through that watch. If it's something like a, a power generation facility that's being connected to a network, um, then suddenly it starts to have much broader implications. That's probably the one area that concerns me the most. We are creating a huge attack surface that is much bigger than just the PCs that we had connected to the internet for the last 20 years. And that attack surface is being connected to things that can have a real impact on people's safety and security.
0: Right, Bryce, as always, a pleasure to have you speaking with us.
1: we are quite welcome, run and I wish you all the very best for the holiday season ahead. Thank you.
0: You too, Bryce. That was Bryce Boland, CTO APAC for FireEye for ISMG in Asia. This is Varun Haran. Thanks for listening, and happy holidays.